You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 35. Then we had an hour, I think, maybe maybe an hour and a half to hang out with Davis. And then they're like, all right, later you can't, they wouldn't even let me walk her over or anything, which again, like I can rationalize this. I can understand it, but you're like, it's a pretty tough thing. And then you spend, she spent two more days and then, you know, you don't have those days and yeah the hardest part was like basically they were like okay get in this wheelchair and then they started to wheel me away and he's like wait are you are you guys leaving i'm like wait oh my gosh and then they're like who's gonna carry your stuff and i'm like i don't know what do we do (laughs) and he's like i'll do it they're like you can't come and then these two people are talking about what to do with your stuff and you're like i'll carry it And they're like you can't have it on the chair you know it's just like this weird complexity that and then you're just like looking down the hall and like wavy it was just so somber and Honestly, it was like the hardest part. Hey there, and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you like the show, we'd be so grateful if you'd write a review wherever you're listening to this. You might just get a shout out on social media or on the podcast if you do. Hi, everyone. If you're listening around the time that this goes live, I hope you're hanging in there and staying safe and healthy at home in these unprecedented and uncertain times. I want to make sure you're aware that through this pandemic, Birth Matters has a page on our website with constantly updated COVID-19 resources for expectant parents. Read more details, tips, and stress management strategies over at our website at birthmattersnyc.com slash COVID-19. And know that we're constantly updating it anytime there are new resources that we think might be helpful for you. Also, Birth Matters has partnered with The Root Therapy NYC to provide an ongoing weekly support group for expectant parents. The Root Therapy is also offering a new parent support group as well as other group options. For more information, email contact at therootherapynyc.com. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, Birth Matters is offering a huge discount on our online on-demand course because it's more important than ever to get equipped for the best birth possible. Our heart goes out to the families whose hospitals have canceled birth classes across the country or who are experiencing severe financial hits right now, and we don't want cost to be a barrier. You can find the promo code and sign up over at birthmattersnyc.com. Also, our regularly scheduled live group classes that are normally in person are temporarily being held on Zoom, and we're also doing virtual private sessions. So please know that you can prep for birth and parenthood in whatever format works best for you and wherever you are. Again, you can register for any of these class formats over at birthmattersnyc.com. In today's birth story, Sarah and Spencer receive an urgent call from their obstetrician just before their due date, saying they needed to be induced immediately if they wanted Spencer to be allowed to support Sarah in labor. Not wanting to give birth without support, they heed the call and head to New York Prez Weill Cornell for an uncomplicated vaginal birth. They describe the ways in which the environment was different in light of the pandemic, including testing, wearing masks, the hospital feeling quieter than normal, and more. 
They'll both share that while they were grateful that Spencer was able to be present to support Sarah through labor and to be present for the birth of their baby, it was very disappointing that Spencer wasn't allowed to go with her and her baby to the postpartum unit and how Sarah regretted agreeing to the default shared room after birth. Okay, let's jump in. Welcome to the Birth Matters Podcast. Today I have Sarah and Spencer with me. Welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So would you like to share how long ago you gave birth and uh, as well as maybe what you do for a living? Absolutely. Uh, three weeks ago, yesterday, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, So March 22nd um, was when our baby was born um, in New York City. And um, yeah, so we're three weeks into this journey. <laughs> it was right in the midst of the pandemic hitting the city very intensely it was like really in the middle of the shift from it happening somewhere else to to it being like a thing that new york was really grappling with and making large municipal changes uh as a result of so it was quite uh quite a high pressure moment (laughs) i think for us yeah, it was one day before our due date, too, was when, when she was born. So yeah. we're very uh, close to that. And before that, had grappled with whether we would leave New York to go be with our families who no longer could travel from Colorado or Florida to be with us. So deciding whether that was safe or not safe or what was the best best decision for our family at that time, because we know we'll be so isolated here with a newborn. So I work for a boutique consulting firm uh, doing the business operations, which is a remotely run company already. So I've been working from home for over a year. Uh, So that hasn't been a drastic change in terms of this uh, pandemic time for me. I'm an operations executive uh, in a in a global ad firm, though that's only been the last six or eight months. Um, prior to that, I was a management consultant, um, but I really focus a lot on how firms organize and build and ship uh, in global teams. So I, again, it's funny because like we're pretty well equipped professionally for like the challenges of this in some ways, you know, it's like things like remote tools and video calls and how you like work, even when you're not in the same room are things that like, I think both of our jobs deal with on a daily basis. Uh, So it was kind of, there's like elements of this that have felt like second nature. And then, you know, the baby having part (laughs) has been a lot, I don't know, it's just been more, complicated um because i don't think anybody expects like well i we certainly didn't expect to go in a month one of having our newborn and not have any ability to to see much less ask for help from family or friends or anybody else or outsiders yeah Yeah. even even paid help i mean i think that would be we'd talked about family a lot and it's like "Ah, i don't know like how much rope do we want to give them as new yorkers you know your spaces can get pretty can pretty tight it's not like we live <laughs> on some palatial suburban estate you know we have like a new york apartment and we have a big new york apartment we do yeah because we don't live we live in long island city not manhattan but, now so but you know the 
we were kind of like, okay, like even if family can't come or we'll limit families stuff, like we're going to hire, you know, a, a nanny or a nurse or some sort of support and we'll have our friends. We have a few friends who have also recently had babies and stuff. And then the shoe drops here and it's like, nope, can't talk to anyone. I mean, you can talk to them, but you can't see them. Yeah. So that it's just a pretty massive expectation subversion and i like to i mean i think we both pride ourselves on our sort of flexibility we're not like hyper hyper planners we certainly didn't we tried to approach the birth with a lot of you know a lot of intent but a lot of like flexibility you know we were careful about not having a birth plan that was just a set of rules that were really fragile but instead you know to kind of like just set some some guidelines and guardrails and then you know I don't know, you get a call where it's like, hey, maybe if you don't go have a baby tonight, then you guys won't even be able to be together. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, so that's kind of like where the situation that we found ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And Spencer, so were you already working home from home too before we had to? Maybe, maybe by a couple of days. I, I go to our offices and we have three offices around New York, but the one I go to is in... Um, Herald Square, so midtown for the non-New Yorkers. Uh, it's not a bad commute. It's only about 15 minutes and from our house and no train transfers, which is great. But um, it's not a, you know, it's a conventional office setup. Mm-hmm. But we had, we actually made the call a couple of days before our whole office at Sarah and I did for me to start working from home just because just out of a sense of conservatism with the baby, you know, just wanted to limit offices are train are, exposure. Yeah, yeah. You know, office and train every day didn't seem like the, the place to be with a potential newborn. So, mm-hmm. um, but no, I mean, my, my normal, uh, my, my company is not a remote company. And though we've adapted pretty effectively, I think people like a lot of, there's things that people love and things that people hate depending on, Depending on how suburban your house is, it seems like yeah. you're <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> how much like, can you separate yourself from the rest of the people in the right, house? Exactly. <laughs> we have one guy who's like, yeah, I'm like make smoking brisket every day. And this is like a vacation. And everybody else is like, yeah, well, we don't like you very much. <laughs> like, yeah. I, we like being at home. Like Sarah and I like... I love to cook. I said we both love to cook and, and I think we're, we enjoy our space, but man, you know, you you really realize at least as a, as an urban person, how much home is like the restaurants that you walk to and the parks that you go to and all of these things that are like in the one or two block blast radius that, you know, I I mean, I don't even think we take them for granted, but you just don't ever think that your access to those things is going to be so limited. Mm-hmm. You know, now like every, I, I like to shoot photos and I've been walking around taking pictures of the storefronts of like our favorite restaurants. Cause I'm just like, a lot of them are closed I hope they don't now. go away. You yeah. Know? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And you know, again, all of that would be tough enough. I think just as the two of us, but as new parents, it's been 
don't know. We we're, we did pretty well, but like, there's a lot of moments where like, this is the time when you'd call your mother or mother-in-law or, you know, <gasps> this is the time when somebody would help you or you could get somebody to bring you a meal or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and how long do you guys have, do you, are you both on leave right now? Yeah. I'm on leave for four months. Yeah. My, cool. Yeah. My company is very uh, like generous and, you know, it's, it's a good it's a good plan and policy in place that's really yeah. good for us. It's My company good. gives five months. I'm taking that not all at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's frankly pretty straightforward to work from home. So I'm just kind of working part-time-ish now. And then once things get back to normal, I'll probably take a month or so off uh, mm-hmm. so that Sarah and I can take Davis to meet her family. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. But... Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of in that in between space. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't have to work that that much. So it's the, you know once or twice a day I sit on the computer for a couple hours. But mm-hmm. nice, yeah. I think that's nice to stagger your leave. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's what a lot of my clients are able to do, and it's yeah. nice when you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny because like my mom was an investment banker and I was talking to her about her experience when she had me, I'm her oldest. And like she and another partner in her firm had to do all of these crazy that like they didn't have a, even a maternity leave policy. And this is like the late eighties, you know, and they basically had to invent it and create a whole like operational model around like motherhood and it wound up being very successful at the company and and I think adopted into you know who knows now what their policy is but um you know it was like I don't think they could have called it maternity leave you know they had to find a way it, mm-hmm. it was something like at she and her partner, they would like trade off childcare and one would get, you know, they were like coordinating time away and time present. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, man, that makes me really appreciative of the, <laughs> the yeah. moment that some of us are in and feel really sorry for like, you know, I think a lot of us in the, whatever the knowledge sector, um, you know, the office sector, the economy have the benefit of, of policies like that, but there's mm-hmm. a lot, you know, we, we have a lot of friends who are in the service industry and stuff who can don't get, get any benefits. Yeah. You know, there's not, yeah. not only yeah. no leave, but they're, you know, their income's gone now. So. It, it's mm. funny you bring that up about your mom. Cause it made me really think once we were in this moment that my mom was in a very similar situation to us Yeah, because she, we were in Japan when I was born. And so she was totally socially isolated by right. herself with no one to help, no family, yeah. except for my dad who worked full-time like basically the minute that I was out again because that's just how how things work there I don't know why she's so upset we have a little gassy baby oh wow <laughs> that's rough yeah she's just having a rough time I'm so sorry but yeah like what? it's interesting to like see just how those policies have evolved. I, I think it's it's easy to, I was talking to one of my younger siblings and 
I think they just sort of took it as a matter of course. And I was laughing because, you know, I mean, I'm 15 years in my career and it's really only recently that you could, you could talk. I don't know. Maybe I've been in a segment of the economy that's, that's, I don't know, more conservative or something and it's constructs of gender roles, but you know, there wasn't like a lot of guys in my, uh, that I can remember that were taking off big swaths of time, you know, to go be, be fathers. And the ones that did were generally like the guys who gotten sort of off of the career rocket and were in the sort of maintaining space. So, um, you know, and I don't think that that has to be true at all. Right? Like it's, I, I'm glad that we're challenging those assumptions Mm-hmm. And you know, I think hopefully building building better workplaces and environments because of it. But you know, it's it's funny to be in a moment where like this thing has happened that's just sort of forced a number of assumptions about like the structure of society and knowledge work to be called into question. Where I don't know. I mean, I've had clients for ten years that have said like, "How oh, we could like." remote work just couldn't like we could just never do that we're a bank right we're a bank we can't do remote work and I had those guys are calling me now like hey how do we like set up secure video environments you know <laughs> yeah it's funny how you think you can't do something until your business is going to fail if you don't do it yeah you have to yeah <laughs> and I think it's the same thing here where if we if we look at parenthood and motherhood as you know, among the the things in society. I mean, we want people to have babies, right? We want people to like raise good children and and contribute to a positive, healthy, competitive society and providing the tools to do that from the workplace standpoint. I mean, I think it's critical, but it is. I absolutely agree. And our country has a long way to go to to, to provide better leave. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally yeah. Agree. yeah. We've made, you know, baby steps, at least some companies have, and, and our state has, because right. now we have yeah. New York paid family leave, but, mm-hmm. um, but we have so much further to go in t- compared to other countries. Totally. Right. And it's funny because like, you know, you know what you know. And so like as parents or as, you know, I, I mean, my experience is mostly managing teams of, you know, relatively well, like a narrow segment of the, of the social construct, you know, relatively well-educated, like, again, professional managerial type people. And I'm wondering, I'm like, man, what are the other big issues that I don't see or that aren't endemic to my like life or space or community that are really important for our, for us to provide for whether parenthood specific or even, you know, I don't know. The so evolu- just like cracks in society yeah. that you don't. The evolution solve. has come from the tech industry aging, at least in my opinion, right. because those young people who started companies now started having families <laughs> and they're like, we need a solution to this. And before that, I was like, spend all your time at work. I did it. <laughs> you know, like I was yeah. in, that, in yeah. that movement. So it's funny mm-hmm. to watch it evolve and then change and then penetrate society. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. Well, let's get to uh, your specific personal story. Um, what? Let's kind of back up to your pregnancy, maybe pre-COVID or pre it getting real for us here in, the, in New York. 
so was there anything to note about your, the way your pregnancy went or, and, or what ways did you prepare for this transition into parenthood? Yeah. Um, pregnancy, to be honest, for me was really challenging in terms of the body, loss of body control, not being able to do everything, just feeling not great mentally and physically, um, just headaches. And I think I had some prenatal like depression, not diagnosed or anything, but just based on how I felt, um, which was also scary for me because everything you read is like post, you know, postnatally what will happen. Um, and so it was really challenging in the different steps, you know, in the beginning, it's the, the not feeling well and headaches and everything. And then it moves on to like, you're sort of okay, but you're still in this in-between fit, you know, each phase had its own its own thing. And I didn't have complications that, that were, you know, making that worse. It was just the process for me. And so, um, you know, that was a little bit scary and just that unknown. So, so I would say pregnancy was very challenging for me. And I was somebody who was like, I'm into yoga and all these things. So I thought I would jump into this process and like, love it. And I, was surprised at my personal reaction. And I did feel bad about that a little bit because you're like, I should be loving this and feel all these things. And I'm not having those feelings. And what happens if this last post baby, you know, it was, it was a little bit scary and daunting, but I know it was probably hard for Spencer. I know not probably, I know it was hard, <laughs> but it was, we, you know, we got through and made it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what was hard was like seeing that and then seeing that contrasted with the narrative that's out there. It, like there's so much of this sort of, it's funny because it comes from, you know, you can read like an Earth Mama blog, you can read like a conservative Christian Southern mom blog, you can read a, like what, and they're all kind of like almost sort of delusionally positive about you know, the pregnancy experience and stuff, which I'm not, I'm not discounting if that was their experience, but I think there's a, a subtle pressure to like fall into the language patterns and reflection patterns that are there. And there's not much space made for like, maybe you just really hate this and it's really hard and, and maybe not it even writ large, but yeah. like in the moment, because like, I don't, the feeling bad or the feeling broken down, those are things that like we can rally around and, and find we've found ways to like sort of ease or, or dance around. We're very active. So, you know, normally we're like big skiers together and bike riders and, and, you know, obviously those are things that like Sarah's ability to, to do while pregnant were curbed to, to halted. But like the thing that's hard to, to challenge is guilt because and I don't think anybody should feel guilty about being like yeah my body's like growing a person and it's really uncomfortable and I don't like it uh, I think you're allowed to not like that and and um absolutely yeah and it doesn't like it in no way to me is that a reflection on on our love for our daughter or excitement to have her though those things as well like you know I think it's there's this part of our process that was very like, man, this is kind of intimidating. It's like, it's not obvious what to do all the time. You know, mm-hmm. this is our first child. It's, it's definitely a big transition. We're in some ways your typical, uh, 
whatever we, you want to call it, like like we young travel, professional yeah, we like travel urbanites. at least once a month. So we were on airplanes all the time still, up until we couldn't. Like, yeah. Until exactly. we were grounded. So we were traveling and we would still go biking, like road biking and right. hiking and that was good. There was a time in the beginning, very beginning I couldn't, but then yeah. we did most of that stuff. Probably up until eight months. Yeah. And then I just I couldn't. The um <laughs> I just I think that like there's this aspect of the experience and you know it's funny for me because I like I found myself trying to process my side of this and there's not like a lot of conversation among dads or among you know prospective fathers about like like anything good that you go to you can also have a sense of loss about what what you're leaving right and and you know as I'm so excited and we're so happy to be in this moment of like new parenthood and, and we've been excited for it but at the same time you like look at I don't know. I I was talking to Christian the other day. It's like uh, a friend of ours who lives in lower Manhattan. We were talking. He was like, oh, man, remember like that night we went out to this jazz club and, you know, we're out until three in the morning, hung out with like the jazz players. And it's like, yeah, that was great. And that's probably not a thing that will be part of my life, at least for a very long time. And like, that's okay. It's okay that that's that's the transition. We we made that knowingly and yeah. and and intentionally but I'm also I feel okay being sad that that's a thing that we've left behind and and a lot of the narrative around this I think for both certainly for women um and what little you can find men talking about this it is so much just like unquestioningly positive uh and you know I think I think people delude themselves a little bit sometimes because like, man, that, like you're, you're giving up a, a lot of things. Um, and I think you have to know and be comfortable with what you're giving up to be really, ex- well, you have to be intentional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you have to be ready to give that up and intentional about it and understand what you're gaining. Correct. Yeah. And I just think like no woman or no person should be made to feel guilty for, you know, encountering a complex emotional moment with emotional complexity. Um, That's such a great point. Yeah, yeah. these things can coexist. That joy that is having your baby, at the same time, it can suck sometimes. Mm -hmm. That, you know, you can miss that life, um, Mm -hmm. that freer pre-baby life. Absolutely. And I think often people feel like those can't coexist. But because, like, exactly what you're saying, we are complex human beings, it is complex and it can this can coexist and we need to give ourselves that space and permission absolutely yeah it's something that we've really been trying to be intentional and before or like during pregnancy we were trying to be very intentional about that and how to maintain that as much as we could going into the unknown right yeah (laughs) so now you know we're here we were in the unknown I guess then too so Mm -hmm. yeah the having made the transition feels like I feel much more at ease than the last like six or eight weeks just because so much build up, <laughs> you know, and now we're like, okay, we're doing the thing. We're like, we've got the thing. thing. Yeah. Like she poops and cries, <laughs> cries and stuff, but like, you know, those are encapsulated challenges. They're not like, and they're pretty known, pretty, you know, you kind of know what to do. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that's a good, 
I don't know how much you actually care about hearing from me about our pregnancy. No, I absolutely would love to hear. Yeah. So I was going to say, so you guys stayed as active as you could. That was one great way to prepare for this transition. I mean, it sounded like a very natural extension of what you already were doing. Were there other ways that you prepared for this transition? We did the course. um, We had a doula who we were not able to have with us at the birth, but um, she was amazing. She's who suggested the course to us, by the way. Oh, nice. And you guys took my online, the online version of my course, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And how did you find your doula? Through a friend. I mean, I did a lot of like online research and felt totally lost in the sea of so it's like almost online dating or what I actually haven't experienced that but (laughs) what I would assume it's like where you're looking at all these things and you're like I don't know who to call or who to pick and this isn't this isn't helpful in terms of like what you know what I think like how do I decide which one of these hundred two hundred people to call or pick or have an interview with. And so I looked through that, emailed a couple, and then got a suggestion from a friend who wasn't sure if this person was still taking on clients. And luckily she she is minimally because she does courses also um, here in New York. But um, so she she I called her, emailed her, and she took us on. So I was so grateful for that. And she was so instrumental in helping us develop our you know, plan or figure out what we wanted if we could have it. Set intentions and expectations. I I think it's funny, you know, I come from, I come from a space where like I have a lot of trust in the work that um, medical professionals put into their understanding of the world and stuff. And so I, I, I was like not sure what I thought about the doula experience I didn't I don't it was more just that I didn't know what to expect and like the way that some people describe it it could be like a really sort of earthy spiritual thing and like that's okay if that's if that's what you want or if it had been what Sarah needed that would have been fine but you know I think for what we found at least with Laura was that she functions almost like a like a coach and really for both of us which I I found like a really cool style so it was it was less like esoteric exercises and more like hey like let's talk about like what options are and and like what have you been reading let's frame that in a way that we can actually interpret it because you know the flood of stuff that you can consume is overwhelming and a lot of it's really flawed right a lot of it's not really evidence-backed or you know it's it's conventional wisdom but it's not really been tested I mean even we didn't really drink much or Sarah didn't really drink much just because she didn't feel like drinking but you know we leaned into some of the research around that and you know American I think partially because our medical system is so litigious um, it's really driven at an extreme level conservatism in terms of, of like counter prescription away from, you know, sushi and, and drinking any alcohol and doing all this stuff. And it's like, what we found, I think through certainly through some of our own reading, but with Laura is that you can have a, a little bit more like personal 
kind of engagement with those things. And some of them are, some of them are really true, right? It's like, you definitely shouldn't do that. And then there's other things where it's like, Oh, this is like based on some one study that was done with 13 people in 1968. And also all the people who were drinking were on cocaine. So like, maybe that was the reason. Well, you know, like, <laughs> Did you guys uh, read that book, Expecting Better? It sounds like yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this sounds like that book. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but, but really amazing book to us. Totally. Especially after reading what to expect when you're expecting. Like, we read a lot. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was so overwhelmed by that one. And he was like, no more reading until... I figure some stuff out and then I was like, let's read this book. And that was yeah. really helpful for us. I, I use, I use Twitter a lot. And, um, <laughs> I, I find a lot of social media to be noisy and full of kind of whatever, like too much information. But the thing that I really like about Twitter is you can go to people, you can find these sub communities for almost anything. And they're really built around experts and people who are like, yes, my entire career is in like, you know, mother researching or whatever. <laughs> um, and so, like, I just went to those communities. And I was like, my wife and I are, like, having a baby. And, like, where do we start? Like, I, you know, we're pro-social or whatever. And so um, we got, like, some recommendations for the Emily Oster books as well as some other stuff. And I think Bring Up Baby. baby. Bring Up yeah. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, my, my family are um, from southern Spain, so they have, like, uh, there's a lot about like the French approach that I, you know, I think I found appealing. So that book was pretty cool for us too. Um, and there, then there's some point where you're like, wow, we've sort of consumed as much information as you could get without experiencing it. And so there, there's just this diminishing return where you can't like, you know, I could have passed like, fact tests all day long about, you know, what, what would happen in the birthing process and the pregnancy and, you know, but like, there's just a difference between the factual knowledge and the pragmatic. And so I think we were kind of like, okay, like now's the moment to just be done. That was probably as we entered the last trimester. And then you just wait. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, okay, what do we do? We, um, we did one thing that, I know a lot of New Yorkers can't do. I don't know that I ever thought we would, but we, we actually bought a car um, <laughs> or we leased a car, which has been, it was really awesome because it gave us the chance to get out of town a little bit easier. Um, and so like, you know, even we wound up just doing one by ourselves, but I, like if somebody is a New Yorker and they're with, they're like in a group of friends who are like all about that time, like my friends and I had, we had talked about maybe all leasing a car together or something like that, just to give ourselves a little, you know, it's like the public transit version of having a car, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've had friends who shared a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, that was really nice. Like it just gave us, you know, probably once or twice a month we were able to get up and, and go hiking or just kind of get out of town a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially, I bet you're glad you did that. Yeah, no, now? it was really, yeah. yeah, it was really great. Um, so that's like, uh, that was, I mean, that was basically in preparation for having her. And I think that was, what yeah. else did we do? Um, so we did all the reading. Sorry, I'm going through this in my head. We did all the reading. We had Laura. We had Laura. 
Is that Laura Vladimirova? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Love her. Yeah. She's amazing. And we still talk to her and is helping us with our gassy baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we, you know, prepared by having our families who were supposed to come out and sort of, oh, we, we moved to a two bedroom apartment because we had a one bedroom, which was another thing we were, we had to move a month after our baby was to arrive. We were lucky enough to cancel our lease a month early and found an apartment just before all of the COVID started to, to happen. We were previously in a, it was nice, but it was like a one bedroom apartment that was privately owned. So it was a condo. And for some reason, the owner was like, okay, we, were we, gonna we just assumed that we were going to be able to stay. And when we called her, she was like, no, we're not going to extend the lease. Like, really? which I oh. don't know if that's even legal anymore, but um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, we're like, well, that's really sucky because it's, you know, 30 days after our due date. It yeah. seems like a terrible time. To so, move. so we moved less than a month before we were due. Like, I think we were in the apartment. <laughs> We've been in this apartment. Six weeks. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So we, we moved. And so there was all this uncertainty before COVID. And then it really hit us. We, nothing had changed drastically while I was pregnant and still moving, really. It was like the last two weeks is when you, I think, two, two to three weeks. Yeah before we were due, before we had the baby, that things really started impacting us in our bubble, Right, I guess. So we probably, we had, you know, friends over and had gone out like maybe twice in that, like four, three to four weeks before we were due, before we really got locked, you know, isolate, like socially isolated. Um, and had to wait. And so it wasn't extremely impactful until the end, but then we were just like, well, we're stuck. We're kind of in this not sleeping well moment, not eating a lot. Cause you're just like at full capacity in terms of body <laughs> and uncomfortable. So I, I already had felt uh, kind of wound down. Yeah. We had wound down. <laughs> Yeah, I was like ready for bed. We like knew the baby could come, so I was like, I I just had this weird. I'm like, man, the worst thing I can imagine is if, you know, I had, I'm not a a huge drinker, but like sometimes you hang with your buddies and you have four or five beers or something, (laughs) you know. And I'm like, man, that would just be the worst situation to to be like. a football games worth of beers in and then be like, Oh, time to go to the hospital. Like, so we had really just <laughs> calmed down and, you know, we'd already calmed down a long time before that, yeah. but yeah, you'd like decided to, to stay. And then, um, yeah, then we got this phone call that, Oh yeah. So we got a phone call from like a weird number. And I think like everybody who's getting crazy, robot calls these days we just we don't answer if we don't know what it is but uh um, it was saturday night yeah, yeah. this is sat- saturday night and our baby's due monday and it was funny because like i had kind of planned that week assuming that we because 
early indications were that like Sarah wasn't going to birth on the due date. Like they, they're kind of expecting like an additional, yeah, usually are, um, you know, she wasn't really like dilated yet or anything. And, um, we get this call from our OB who is fantastic, but she called and she's like a very, she's kind of a fun personality, but she's, she's pretty, she's not a person that you expect to be shaken at all. And she left this like very intense sounding message. Like, Hey, uh, I need you guys to call me back as soon as you can which is a weird thing to get from your OB. And so we're like, uh-oh, well, okay. I was like, I haven't had any tests. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I was there on Monday. I'm supposed to be there Monday, Saturday night. This is really, really weird. I feel weird. Right. <laughs> and I was like, maybe she had COVID and is nervous that we were exposed, you know, cause it's like a week out. So we got, I called her back. Yeah. We called her back. Yeah. And she's like, look, you're, you're like, at the you're ready to go at the moment you're ready to go like I think that you guys should come in and we should see if there's a, a way that we can like begin the labor process um you know otherwise because she's like I just walked out of the, the conference call and she's like tomorrow they're they're separating laboring mothers from their husbands <clears throat> like they're um, banning any any guests yeah no, into the no. hospital yeah, this, and so they had already banned, they had already told us that Laura couldn't be there. Yeah, so the, the week before, I was devastated because we had been told that Laura couldn't come because they had limited it to one guest that had to be husband. I believe they said husband. It was like something, it couldn't even be a doula. Yeah, they wouldn't let it, they wouldn't let it, you choose between who who it was. And that was devastating because in my mind, since we didn't have our families, she had been through the whole process with us and guided us and just been there and was just like a source of calm and knowledge and, you know, a good guide for us to have during the process and then after. And so the week before I was like, oh my gosh, we don't even get to have her now. So that's devastating, you know, but we're like, okay, we're okay. And then when they were like, no partners. I was, whoa, you know, that just like takes your breath away. And so and this was the hospital, the first hospital in New York city to do this, to, yeah. to start prohibiting any labor support at all. I mean, yeah. Cause they yeah. had a couple of cases where yes, right. women showed up in labor and they, they didn't know they were positive and they ended up developing symptoms in labor exposed to like 30 people. And right. so that put the fear into them where right. they just suddenly clamped down and exactly. said no partners. And it's, it's a tough thing because yeah, like I think that was up at Columbia and it, was, it wiped out a third of their staff essentially in one fell swoop. And so, I mean, I get, there's the rational part of you that's like, okay, I understand that you have to protect against something like that, but at the same time, you know, it's not really precedented, at least in the history of Western medicine to separate laboring mothers from their partners as a rule and you know we know it's not safe for them to not have someone in the room with them exactly we can't expect staff to be there constantly right yeah Yeah. and i mean especially the way the way that nyp's laboring process works like it would have required an additional staff person to be there like i i mean i was like i played the role not of a nurse but of like you know i just supported the the labor practice 
um, very actively. And I'm like, man, if you didn't have me, then you'd have to have another, another Staff member. person, which is like, it doesn't immediately solve that problem. And really, if you understand, oh, I mean, I don't know. I get that there, there are senior level hospital management staff that had to make a decision and they had to make a very complicated decision. And so I won't pretend to, to know better than they do or even be looking at all the variables that they had to be looking at. But I can tell you that like, it was pretty devastating to imagine, you know, a situation in which she would have had to birth alone. Um, when we got there, we didn't finish uh, the call. So she called and was basically like, come in tonight. Let's see what we can do. So we got to the hospital at like 1030. Yeah. It was just weirdly ghost townish. And we just waited in the lobby with the check-in nurse for two hours, like just sitting there and she'd be like, someone will come get you soon. Yeah. So we're like practically sleeping in the chairs. Not quite just waiting for They gave us masks out there. Oh yeah. They made us, they made us put on masks. And we just were like, this is the weirdest feeling because you're just waiting to go be induced, yeah. essentially, and not sure what's going on and told, you know, partners will not be accepted and we're waiting like, oh my gosh, is this taking too long and they're not going to let them in? We didn't know, you know, we're just right. waiting there. So we finally got in and our doctor was there when we got there. She was on on call or on, I don't know what you call that on on duty. She was like, yeah. Um, for the night. And so she, you know, checked us and was like, okay, it looks like, you know, things are progressing. Yeah. Before the, everything started, you know, before they started the actual induction and, um, they started the official process probably at like 1 AM. Yeah. And yeah. So then we were just in it. Wearing our masks. I, I think the big thing was, is they, you know, they came and there was, you could tell it like caused some complexity for the, uh, the staff there. Cause they want, there was like, you know, probably some people who had walked out of that and been like, okay, no more husbands. And then there was a group of people who were like, this doesn't go into effect until six tomorrow morning. And so we had a couple of people kind of giving me the side eye and somebody was like, Hey, look, just so you know, you're not going to be able to go to the postpartum. Mm. Oh, and they tested me upon arriving with COVID. You know, I think that it it was interesting because like, I think that in our original thinking, being apart for the birth was really the wild thing to imagine. It was like, okay, like postpartum, it stinks, but like that would have been, you know, that'll be fine. But like the truth was, is, you know, Sarah had about a 14 hour labor, um, post receiving Pitocin. And then we had an hour, I think maybe, maybe an hour and a half to hang out with Davis. And then they're like, all right, later you can't, they wouldn't even let me walk her over or anything, which again, like I can rationalize this. I can understand it, but you're like, it's a pretty tough thing. And then you spend, she spent two more days and then, you know, you don't have those days. And those, yeah. yeah. Um, they do any video that, calling or. Yeah. They let us do that. Yeah. They, they definitely encourage that. I mean, the, the hardest part was like basically they were like, okay, get in this wheelchair. And then they started to wheel me away. And he's like, wait, 
are you, are you guys leaving? I'm like, wait, oh my gosh. And then they're like, who's going to carry your stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. What do we do? (laughs) And he's like, I'll do it. They're like, you can't come. And then these two people are talking about what to do with your stuff. And you're like, I'll carry it. They're like, you can't have it on the chair. You know, it's just like this weird complexity that you're just feeling. And then you're just like looking down the hall and like wavy. It was just so somber and terrible. Honestly, it was like the hardest part. One of the hardest parts. And then I, you know, you go to this room and I had said, I don't need a single because if he's, if my, you know, partner's not going to be there, it doesn't really matter. And then when I got there, I was like, this was a really bad idea. (laughs) Because there's like another crying baby. Yeah. There's another crying baby. More people coming in. I thought like, if my baby's waking your baby up and vice versa, I don't know what's happening. Uh, Luckily the person who was in there was checking out basically a couple of hours after I got there, but then you're just in this total isolation, right? Because we, it was just me and her and then the trash person or the temperature checker or the person who's, you know, I don't know, just all of these things every couple of hours coming in, but it's just like me and her and they, checked her out and they had said that they would take her to the nursery for whatever they do in the morning. Well, the nursery closed overnight for a deep cleaning, which was obviously a COVID thing. And so then it was just like us and all of the doctors and everything came to our room. So it was almost like being in what I would imagine being in jail is like, because you're just in this little room in your uncomfortable bed with your baby only and no real support because everyone's trying to stay away from you and, you know, keep, keep your masks on and all this stuff. So it was just a really intense two days for me personally. And just trying to like navigate that, you know, motherhood on your own in this, in this crazy environment. So that was real so it sounds like they didn't do early discharge at that point because right I think since then they've started sending people home much sooner much faster yeah so they had said that if like all looks good they would and um unfortunately she didn't pass her first hearing test on one side and so they wouldn't discharge us because they were concerned that we wouldn't be able to get in with a specialist due to everything that was going on and they were like there's probably nothing wrong, you know, but we just need to do this test again tomorrow, which she passed. But it was one of those moments where you're like, yes, I want to make the right medical decision and be responsible as a parent, even though this is torture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I was thinking, I'm sure you wanted to just go home. Oh my <laughs> so God. you guys could be together. Everything. I literally just was in like survival mode. I had my little computer playing West Wing for 24 hours straight, no joke, just as in the background, because I needed that something going on. I went through all of my phone data, which was fine. I was like, I don't even care (laughs) during that time, just playing, you know, having something to normalize or humanize the experience. And then was just so happy to get home, you know, two days later and like take a shower and actually brush my teeth and do all the things that you do as a person on the regular that you you take for granted, you know, and, you know, be with my partner and have him have time with his baby and bond and all these things that, that we, 
that he didn't get to do and also just get a moment to take a rest (laughs) (laughs) and sleep for a minute. Oh yeah. Do do you want to talk at all about the labor itself and how that went? And uh, did you have to wear your mask for the whole time? I was supposed to. I did not. She kind of <laughs> Good for you. I can't even imagine having to do that. Yeah, there was a point at which the nurse was like, just we had just like, that. we had the best nurse who was just like, a, she was like a grandma who's done like 8,000 deliveries who just like knew it was up and she just had the best manner and so much empathy. And like at some point she's like, pull that. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was just so hot. Yeah. And yeah, so basically I, when we went into this, my goal was to do as much at home as I could, make it as natural as possible. And that was obviously rocked by the news and what, what we went to do. And so um, they gave me the Pitocin and I was like, okay, I can handle this. This is good. Just breathing through the, you know, basically it was contractions immediately. They also used balloon, the balloons to, to open my cervix um, at the same time. So they inserted balloons, started the Pitocin and were, you know, upping the level. And I was fine until about eight in the morning. So from like one to eight in the morning, and then it got really intense, but the contractions were like one to four minutes from whenever the Pitocin kicked in. So if I got it at one, I don't know how it takes like 20 minutes or something sometimes to start for people. So it was just like, I'd been having contractions every one to four minutes since then. And it's weird what time does during that, because somehow you fall asleep in between that and you think it's been 15 minutes and there was like a really large clock behind me. So I could look up and see this digital clock and I'd like sleep and I'd be like, oh, that must have been 15 minutes and look up and it'd been like two. <laughs> I'm like, this is so weird <laughs> how this happens. And so you, you know, my body was, I was handling it and just, you know, breathing very deep and staying very, I was, I'm very calm. I don't know. I felt like I was very quiet. It was never, it was never dramatic for me, um, until probably, so I also had not been checked again. So I had been checked and they're like, okay, you're at like four or something. Four and a half. Yeah. Four and a half. Was that at eight? Sorry. You were at four centimeters at eight. Yeah. Around that. Yeah. But I thought they were going to come back much sooner and check. Like I, in my head, I'm like, okay, they're going to keep me updated on where I'm at. So I know how much I have energy, like in my mind, like how much I can take. And um, so I had, you know, mentally been like, is someone going to come check me and tell me where I'm at? Because this has been a long time and I'm just waiting. (laughs) And so when they did that, they, they broke my water when they checked um, at eight that at that point, which was the weirdest most relieving sensation ever because it's like doesn't feel good but then all of a sudden you're like all that pressure that has been building up and you just feel like this cylinder of pressure for nine months is just gone in like a second and you're like ah 
I can breathe. So that was a really. I haven't ever heard anybody describe it that way. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Like, it felt good because it doesn't feel good when it (laughs) happens. But the the pressure of that release and just like having, I guess, more room in your body was everything. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Was it a big gush? Yeah, it was definitely a big gush. And just like, it was just like, oh, okay. That was great. Did you feel a lot more after that? Yeah, and not immediately, but so from 8 until 11, um, it got very intense where before I could like breathe through and then I'd have a moment and we could like talk and, you know, it was obviously night. So I was like, you sleep, at least one of us can be not like, I'm just being quiet. One of us can be not tired. Um, And so 8 to 11, I was like, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Like, I can't talk, you know, it was just really intense. And I didn't know where I was at that point, which to me, I couldn't like gauge, do I have enough to give to finish this? Or can I not do this? And I was just like, I don't, because the contractions were so intense at that point, and so constant, I just was like, I don't think I can do this, because I I don't know where I'm And I'm really upset about this because I wanted to do this on my own. And I'm like, "Ah," you know, I was like getting really disappointed in myself. Yeah. Again, like (laughs) this narrative creates guilt around doing things that are like very normal. Right. Like, so to the decision to take or to use an epidural, which is fine in any circumstance, but it's certainly, it's almost unheard of not to in an induction. Yeah, Um, Absolutely. It's, it's a harder way to go usually for most people. And like, you know, it's a a pretty high percentage medical procedure. You know, it's not, it's not something to be taken lightly, but it's not like a, it's very common, you know, but we create all this guilt around it. And that's what I hate. Right. It's like, it's just because in that moment, the decision should just be made with clarity and as much simplicity as possible. But Sarah's got to wrestle with like, um, whatever social expectations self expectation mm-hmm. and so well so they were like we can bring in the team to you know give you an epidural and I was like but I don't know if I want it and they're like well you can just talk to them and then when they got there they did not just want to talk to me which I get they're busy and whatever but it was not it was not as informative as I would have liked to like walk me through it because I didn't want to I mean you read a lot it's dangerous for the mom I was nervous about getting a catheter, all the things, you know, the complication, not being able to walk anymore and go to the bathroom, which I'd been already tied up to the IV and gone a million times because you can't quite tell if you have to go to the bathroom or not a lot of the times at that point. So I was probably going every hour really and annoying everyone (laughs) because I'd have to unhook and hook and unhook and hook. And so that was, it was just all these things that were scary and not wanting to, you know, hurt my body more because you can't tell what you're doing or if you're pushing or if you're not, if you're doing it too hard, if you're not. But I ended up going or having the epidural and it was extremely scary (laughs) and not, you know, it's just a time they made um, Spencer leave the room, which is very common, but then you're just in this moment and they're like, don't move. And I 
had a resident who was doing it, which made me more nervous because it's your spine and you just don't know what's going on. And, you know, it took a few minutes to happen and that was scary. But the minute it kicked in, it was, I was like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) You know, that's the hope. (laughs) Yeah, that was, it was, it was incredible the difference that it made. I mean, I was still not thrilled that I had to do it, but it was like the best decision for me and us in that moment. And, and, I, it, and it let us like be able to be back in the moment together rather than like be separated by this wall of pain and coping, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. There's yeah. such huge value in that. Yeah. 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 And all the more in this time of the whole COVID thing, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, just to, we need to give ourselves a, a break in, in more ways than we normally might, you know, yeah. I feel like just emotionally and physically, all of those aspects. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question. Was yeah. Laura, was she providing virtual support at all? Was she able to do that or did you? She was happy to do it. I was totally just not in that headspace and you were, Spencer was communicating with her. Yeah. I mean, I I was texting with her and stuff, but it was, um, I mean, to be honest, like when our experience with the staff there on the OB and the L and D floor at NYP is like, it was really positive. Like once, once our like nurse who was with us the whole time got into it, she was good. Our, our doctor changed as a a woman from the same practice, but, um, Dr. Wu, yeah. How to go home. So we she had like the, the night shift and uh, we, we didn't want to communicate with her then because everything was calm and it was the middle of the night. So then we did the day shift, which was when everything was more active. We were, yeah. we were in the active part of it. And uh, like, I think we felt very supported on, on like once we got into the whole thing. And so we were texting a little bit. I think it would have been just, and it's not to say what anybody else does, but I think for us, it would have been like a little weird and awkward, but more than anything, just like it's another thing to manage in the room. Um, and it was fast. Yeah. We, it, <laughs> yeah. we had a fast, fast labor, right? Like compared to some people, I mean, 14 hours start to deliver is efficient. Um, yeah. That's definitely efficient, especially for an, for an induction. Mm-hmm. Right. We're usually expecting that to take a day or more. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they had predicted we would be birthing in the middle of the night. When we, when I was checked after, right after the epidural, I was at like nine. So I was like there. Yeah. I was just about to ask you if you got checked before you got the epidural or not. No, which is what I asked. I was like, can someone tell me where I am? And they're like, we'll have to talk. They did check you. You were at six and a half. Not before. They did. You were at six and a half. I knew because she specifically talked to me about she was like, I can't believe she made it to six and a half. Most I had, like I've never seen anybody go more than four. The the nurse did. Um, and then you were yeah, very <laughs> like within an hour of the epidural, you were at nine or maybe even nine and a half, I don't remember. But I shot out a text at that point because it was kind of like the whole tone shifted to like, all right, buckle up. This is we're transitioning into like really active labor now. Mm-hmm. And I think you started pushing about one, a little after one fifteen, one fifteen, and she was born at three twenty four. And how was the whole pushing experience? That was hard. That was hard because of the feeling and not feeling at the same time, and just wearing yourself out in the most 
weird way because you feel it and you're working so hard and you're getting out of breath, but you're not feeling all of it, but you're feeling a lot of it. It's, it's an interesting, it's. When you say that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you say that, do you mean that you felt pressure, but not other sensations? And it's a, it's pain in a dull way. Um, and you just can't tell what is going on in a way, I guess. And like, she kept coming down and going back up and coming down and going back up. And I was like, I don't know, this is not working. Like what, what do I do? It's not. Well, and I mean, to some degree of that is very normal and healthy yeah. for both of you, but, but yeah, the question is like, to what extent is yeah. helpful? <laughs> what am I doing? And, and I think the, the more nerve wracking part, at least for me, and we had read all of the stuff about not doing continual, uh, fetal monitoring, all of this, but that all goes out the window the minute that you're induced. <laughs> um, and so all of the beeps and all of that, I mean, there's alarms going off all the time and you have no idea what they are. And the staff is really good and they do try and come in, but they can't come in immediately every time. And you don't know, is that the baby monitor? Is that my monitor? Is my blood pressure too low? Is my blood pressure too high? Like all of these things um, that are happening. And so to me at that point during, you know, the pushing is when things started to kind of fluctuate more. And so the monitors would, and I think even a little bit before that, actually, the monitors would go off and that was stressful. Like that was getting my brain going. Cause I'm like, well, I know something is off and I don't know if it's the baby. I don't know if it's me. My blood pressure kept dropping. Um, and then also I would get really hot and they were a little concerned that I was getting too hot. Like it was just all these little things. And I never knew like at what point would they be like, okay, we have to do a C-section or something. Um, or all, you know, any of those, those things that happen. And so I think it made me more paranoid in that time of than I wanted to be. Cause I was like, is she okay? Is she not okay? You know, what's going on? And then you're pushing and working so hard and they'd be like, Oh, the baby's heart dropped a little bit or the baby's heartbeat is a little faster, all of these things. So, um, that mentally was the most stressful part of the pushing and labor for me. And they'd be like, Oh, you're getting hot. You need to breathe the oxygen, you know? And so you're like trying to take the breaks, but then you're like, okay, I'm supposed to push. And then they'd be like, push differently. And you're like, I don't know if I am like, what does this mean? I've never done this before. (laughs) Yeah. Funny because it's so athletic. And I found myself being like, why don't, like, why don't you train for that before? (laughs) And then I was like, oh yeah, I guess you don't really want to train pushing your baby out before it's time to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't know, maybe before you get pregnant, like there could be a workout that's like more finesse than, I mean, than I would think. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. One of my former students is a trainer and he did some training with his wife in the, the deep transverse abs because yes. that's squeezing the baby down and out. And, and right. she had a really efficient pushing stage. And he, he's like, I really think it was that strengthening, you know, the strengthening. I, I, bet. I really do bet. And I do think like, I've always done a lot of, you know, classes and stuff that do focus on that. And I would have a good push. One thing that was interesting that they kept saying is like, hold your breath and push. And all that was doing was forcing me to like turn bright red and the kind of like the energy would go up. 
And so I have ignoring or trying to ignore everyone. And like, I would exhale and then they'd be like, no. And I'm like, no, that's more efficient for me. Like I have to do this because it's not like, I think that's what's making my temperature go up. I mean, I wasn't saying this, but in my head, cause I'm like, all I'm doing is just feeling like I'm like going to pop a blood vessel in my face rather than push a baby out. Yeah. Well, and just for listeners benefit, ACOG, American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in the last few years has said specifically women shouldn't be told how to push, even though their yeah. nurses are trained in doing that, yeah. Yeah. Um, that they, that they shouldn't be, there's no one right way to push. And so whatever feels really instinctive to you is what we should go with, you know, yeah. even if it takes longer than this Valsalva maneuver, the directed pushing. Might. Yeah. And, and I think the most beneficial thing during that was when somebody was putting their hand where the push should be going for me. So it was when the doctor would come in. And so I have like Spencer and the nurse on one side or on each side of me. And then the doctor could be like, okay, push here. And that, and it was like, there's not a lot of feeling there. I mean, there is, it's a, it's a weird description. There is feeling there. So you can tell where to, to, to push. Are you talking about the pelvic floor? Yeah. 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 She would, you know, be like, okay, this is where you're focusing and here's where to put the pressure. And that was really helpful, but then she'd have to go and manage her other patients, which is totally understandable. And then I would feel less focused or, you know, um, able to, to like direct that. So that was, that was like frustrating for me in my head, you know, during that time. And then, and then she ended up coming, but they were like, okay, wait here. And I'm like, what? The baby's like here. So she was like, not fully crowned, but partially crowned. And so they needed to get the rest of the team into the room to help. So the doctor's like, well, also, and you also need- they want to stretch. Yeah. They're like, you need to you know, like you need to stretch a little bit. So wait here. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) You want me (laughs) to wait? What am I doing? (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait here. (laughs) And so at that point, um, I did, but I was just, that was the time where I probably got the most vocal or like where I was just like, I can't do this. I don't know what you want me to do. I can't just wait. I'm not sure what I'm doing. You know, I was confused. And in that intense moment, and they got the team. And then honestly, the next thing I know is just like Bloop, baby. And she was um, out and I didn't even realize that Spencer had, they had like removed him and put someone else in his role. <laughs> and I didn't know. Cause I was like, wait, where'd you go? Wait, where did he go? Where yeah. did he go? Yeah. Uh, they just pulled me off. So I got replaced with like a nurse or an orderly or something. And like I was still in the room. Yeah, yeah, but just uh, they moved. But so I grabbed my camera and took pictures of her emergence, which I'm sure Sarah's not super happy about, but <laughs> I think they're kind of beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, and then so then um, she was, you know, here. And again, that's another interesting moment where they're like, she's crying, keep her breathing, keep moving her around. And, and you're like, is she okay? Even though, you know, it's like an interesting moment of like excitement and then fear of, you know, is the fluid, does she still have fluid in her? Like what's going on? Cause is she, you know, is she breathing enough and all that? And 
They were really good about skin. I mean, immediate skin to skin contact. That's what I was about to ask that. Was she on your chest? Uh-huh. Yeah, she was on my chest, but then I'd be like, they'd be like, okay, just make sure you keep poking her and all this. And I'm like, is this enough? <laughs> you know, because you, you don't know. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And then, so um, we uh, got to spend, you know, probably an hour, an hour and a half together as a family, but people are coming in and, um, out and making sure everything's good and and all of that mm-hmm. and then She's smiling I think she might be <laughs> and then um and did you have to be wearing the mask during the pushing stage I they, did not that was when they she had a mask on except for like the last hour and a half of pushing and okay. I also and kept having the oxygen so they it was like oxygen in between there so like I'd have a sort of a mask I think by that point they knew I wasn't COVID okay I was gonna ask you if you got your test results back at some they didn't tell me um but apparently because they took me to a co uh a room with another person they wouldn't have done that if they wouldn't have the test back so my like second nurse was like oh yeah you're good and I was like oh no one told me so this is good you know um and Spencer were you having to wear a mask the whole time too yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So then, then we just sort of, it's really interesting how everything just clears out very quickly. And then you're just in there together, uh, hanging, you know, just having those moments and then they come in and they're like, okay, let's go, you know, and you're yeah. just done. It's really yeah, that was surreal. That process was quick, but it feels slow and fast all at the same time because you go mm-hmm. from complete chaos, like I guess it's organized chaos and then just quiet. And then you're like trying to feed the baby and do all of these like things. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it was just a, a wild, a wild moment. And then we packed up our things and they wheeled us in different directions. Mm. or wheeled me in one direction (laughs) well I'm glad it sounded like I think you said that they get they did give you guys a heads up that he wouldn't be able to stay after you know more than like an hour and a half to after the birth right like when you first got there yeah they had just uh made that change as well and yeah they told us right away which was really really good and I don't think I realized I assumed I'd get out in one day too, because they said they were, if things looked good, that they would release you early, like you had mentioned. Um, And so I didn't realize how hard that would be, the goodbye, right? And just just leaving that separation was, was to me, devastating. I'm sure to Spencer too. Um, And then to know he's here at home by himself, probably, you know, paranoid and worried, it's kind. weird too because like again just the whole thing was like a subversion of expectations like even to the point where like we had brought the car seat with us and like bags and stuff and there's like a bunch of stuff that like the car seat and a few other things that we couldn't leave with sarah they um you know they sent me packing with bags and an empty car seat and it's like a it's a sort of surreal weird thing to walk out of the hospital by yourself with an empty car seat, you know, and leaving your wife and baby behind. Like, I don't mm, know. Like, uh, sure. 
was like a poetic, poetically sad moment for me, you know? And like, and we had found street parking like a few blocks away and you're like, damn, this is like heavy emotionally and heavy physically. And I'm just like, not okay with this moment. And, yeah. You know, that was another interesting thing is as we were parking, we were trying to park, we were going to park in a parking garage. They were like, yeah, just so you know, we might close. So don't leave your car here if you will need it. So that's <laughs> why we need it in the next couple of months is what one guy said. Whoa. Yeah, it was like a weird, you know, that was like a weird moment. Entering the ghost town hospital was yeah. an interesting moment. And then... And what was it like, Spencer, when you came back to get them? I'm sure you couldn't go into the hospital to help. Yeah, I mean, it was like the way that the the Cornell, New York Presbyterian spot is, is they, uh, which is on the Upper East Side, if people don't know, you just like drive into a circular parking lot. And so Mm -hmm. they just, they have like attendance there and the, they'll like keep you moving which is funny because you're like she's like on the elevator and they're like nope it's been one minute like go and so you're like whatever but uh you know they were pretty it was fine once we so did you have to keep like circling around that (laughs) (laughs) kind of like in an airport (laughs) yeah which exactly i finally found a spot to like just sort of illegally park and yeah i don't know i mean my experience with the police in new york is that they're, they're kind of they'll they'll yell at you about that stuff but they're not going to just like write you a ticket on the spot so i was like i'm just gonna park here until somebody comes up and yells at me and by that you time. know what's so hilarious that you bring that up is just this week or last week i aired a, a story a couple who gave birth at well cornell and they got pulled over by a cop because they made like an illegal turn in a rush trying to get to the hospital uh, <laughs> That's really funny. I've always like wondered, we talked several times about like, okay, if we get pulled over, our excuse will be like, we're trying to get to the hospital or something, you know, that's really funny. Yeah. It's funny too, that it's at that, that same hospital. Yeah. So anyway, so eventually she, she was brought down and came down. Yeah. And then, you know, we put her in the car. Um, Again, I think. Right, totally. And the experience, like, just pragmatically of having your own car to pick them up and stuff was, I think, a little bit more in the domain of, like, things that were known to me. I mean, Sarah and I both grew up in in suburbs, and while I don't relish everything about them, you know, the, like, the spaciousness of, like, the hospital part of things is kind of nice. And um, I don't know you know, I don't know what the best thing to do for most New Yorkers is if, if you don't have a car, which I think most people don't, I feel like, I, I don't know. I actually don't know what people are, are going to do. By the time we were thinking through those logistics, we had a car. So, um, I think we would have Uber car, car service or something <laughs> yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It would have been a pretty classic. We, we got married down at the, um, at city hall, uh, <laughs> a while ago and so like there's all these kind of classic new york like moments and images in our in our marriage and i think that could be a kind of a funny thing put sarah and the baby jump in the yellow cab <laughs> iconic new york moment yeah <laughs> don't break your water in my cat back seat yeah. um yeah no it was uh, it was 
all said and done a pretty good experience. Hilariously, just because it's on the Upper East Side, they give you like the Chanel gift bag when you leave. And, yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like fancy. it. Yes, for a very unfancy experience. <laughs> yeah. It felt very counterintuitive to right. the entire experience itself. But now we're lifelong Chanel customers. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Are there any things that you haven't gotten to share that you wanted to share or any um, insights or tips that you'd give expectant parents, especially in this time of the pandemic, if they're giving birth in this time? What I think about is just the bit, you know, and when you start talking to people about things like birthing plans and stuff, there's always like some people really advocate it. <clears throat> um, and I, I think that stuff's good to think through what your expectations are, but I think it's a time when it's just really, really important to hold your expectations lightly, you know, and, and like, no matter what you, particularly for first time parents who just, you know, we don't have baselines for a lot of this. <clears throat> so like, you know, in almost every respect and to, to an extreme degree in our case, but I think that this is, this is true. And even the most conventional birthing moments, like, what you expect and what you think will be important is often not. And then there's things that are like really that wind up being really important moments that you didn't even spend any time thinking about. And so like, I think that if you can enter the space and be kind of like ready for, for that and be emotionally and mentally prepared and just think for us, it was at every step, it was just, you know, a hug and a kiss and kind of like, okay, like let's, we will, we will take this on as it comes and respond to each moment as we can. Yeah. Just expect the unexpected. Right. And I think having, I mean, I'm so grateful for partnership during those moments. I think having the support person is everything uh, because you both bring each other through the, and it doesn't matter who that is for you, but you bring each other through the tough moments because one person has to have a moment and then, you can take turns having your moments because we both have them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. A lot of like giving yourself a break kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, like giving each other breaks and doing, you know, it's Mm -hmm. okay to like be, be overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. And, (laughs) and then parenthood itself has been good in terms of postpartum. I feel much better postpartum than I felt, you know, being pregnant, which is, good everyone's experience Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think the hardest part is uh, we've in the last week she's become a gassy baby so that's been you know the challenge of um she very well mannered and like tempered I should say most of the time until she's like gassy or trying to you know have a bowel movement and so that's been you know, the new challenge for us and just things change all the time. Cause for two weeks it was like, yeah, we got this, we can do this. Okay. And then all of a sudden it shifts. So, um, just adjusting to, to that, uh, over time and, you know, figuring out your normal and, and adjusting that. So. Well, thank you so much, Sarah and Spencer. Yeah. It's been wonderful. I appreciate your sharing your story. I think it's going to really benefit listeners and I'm going to air it as soon as I can. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye.
I hope the COVID-19 birth stories we've shared these past three weeks have been encouraging to you. Having to wear masks aside, I very much hope those giving birth through this time will be pleasantly surprised at certain aspects that might end up being better than expected. Okay, next week we'll return to our cesarean stories after our three-week detour of COVID-19 birth stories. You might have heard this sneak peek a few weeks ago at the end of episode 22, but let's review real quick. Yeah, Amanda's having a pretty tough time. This is when the lessons of your class came in handy for Grant because he was amazing and was just the entire time, um, you know, just holding my hand and just sort of whispering these mantras, um, you know, things like, uh, I can't even I remember, remember what you said, just, yeah. you know, just breathe, breathe, relax your jaw, you know, you can do this. this one, yeah, you know, yeah. It was, you know, as uncomfortable as it was at times, it was really like my memory of it is sweet because of that, because it was such a, you know, it was, it was an intense time and it, it had that, you know, bonding effect of oh, exactly so. a couple. Yeah, couldn't. Yeah, I've never felt so close. Um, Yeah, it was amazing. This week, I want you to tell yourself this. No matter the circumstances, I have everything I need to give birth to my baby. Thanks so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. Until next week, please stay safe, wash your hands, and take good care of yourself.